Welcome to Orthopod, a podcast about the people of orthopedics and their stories. We understand that we all play many roles in our careers and lives, and it is these very stories that ultimately inform our successes and failures. Hello everyone, welcome to Orthopod. This is a podcast that is going to share the stories of many interesting people. Today we have just that individual, Dr. Lehana Tabane, a close friend, colleague, and someone I have great respect for. He's currently the Professor of Biostatistics and Associate Chair of the Department of Health Research Methods, Evidence, and Impact at McMaster University. He's an Associate Member of the Departments of Pediatrics and Anesthesia in the School of Rehabilitation. Uh, in the Faculty of Health Sciences here, again, at McMaster University, and is also the Director of Biostatistics at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton, Ontario. Mm-hmm. He has a breadth of experience uh, regarding research, from anywhere from clinical trials to pragmatic trials to health research methods, has been a mentor to countless hundreds and hundreds of individuals, mm-hmm. uh, has won several mentorship awards, um, involved in multiple professional societies, and Keep in mind, he's also well-published, well over 650 papers and at least 200 invited presentations and counting. So it is with great, great pleasure that I get a chance to introduce you, uh, Dr. Tabane and Lahana. We'll, we'll chat today about really what's on your mind. So welcome, and what's on your mind? Well, that's, that's fantastic, Mo, uh, for a, you know, um, a very generous introduction. Well, I always say when when um, you have this much to offer, our challenge is really how do we get to the stuff that yeah. you want to talk about? Because we could talk for hours and hours yeah, and hours. Yeah, yeah. But I get the impression there are a few things that are much more important to you than others. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it is true. I think you know, like everybody else, you know, you get up in the morning, you're thinking about how can I make my life worthwhile, right? And um, there are a few things which are really um, preoccupying me these days, uh, just to mention a few, one of which is really mentorship, which is support of junior investigators in all their efforts trying to make our world better. And certainly um, I have dedicated part of my time and continue to do that in improving the, the, the practice of pilot studies. Right. which are really studies we do at the beginning to try and you know, get a sense on or can we actually go a lot bigger to try and uh, answer some of unresolved questions in our clinical care uh, or in health practice and so on. Um, so I would say these are the two big things big things in my mind at the moment. So it's yeah. quite funny because I was just mm-hmm. recently uh, traveling and I get asked every year to talk about something that's on my mind and I guess for the last 20 yeah. years, the concept of think big or think yeah. bigger has yeah. been there. And, you know, at McMaster, yeah. that has yeah. been, I've learned that from you among many others. And Gordon has been a big proponent of that, as is PJ Devereaux. Sure. But the thing that I think is really, we talk about a lot, mm-hmm. but we, it's, we don't get a lot of deep depth into it, which is the concept of mentorship and what it means. And the question we get asked a lot in our institution is, how do we develop how, how do we succession plan, but how do we mentor the right people to find, quote, their passion? And all these sort of cliched That's words. Right. But That's right. from your yeah. perspective, let me ask you this. How do you, when you look at defining a mentor or a good mentor, mm-hmm. what are the check marks that yeah. that define a good mentor? Now, I know in some ways yeah. you're having to speak a little bit about the things you do. So, you know, I know you're, and you're also very humble, but... You know, in that context, what's a good mentor? Who's a good mentor? Well, put it this way. Um, I was born in Lesotho, which is right. in South Africa. Right. And as an African, one of the 
uh, grounding philosophies that we grew up with. It's Ubuntu. Okay. Ubuntu is a word in Africa, which is really um, in a lot of African cultures, means I am because we are. Essentially, what that means is that um, to whom much is given, much is expected. That's another way of thinking of it. Right. Um, or equality of all for all, or justice for all, as right. you know, Gandhi would have, uh, you Absolutely. know, right. uh, thought of the same thing. But essentially, that's how I think of mentorship. Mentorship is really um, making a decision that um, if I have been privileged to be in a situation where I have something that I can use to be able to help somebody else to get to where I am then I need to be able to use that privilege appropriately. Can I ask you, uh, if I could, when you say um, doors are open for you, um, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this mm -hmm. concept of outliers, and my perception of outliers has been genius is extremely rare, very, very rare. However, great successes happen when the right people open the right doors and you have the courage to walk through all those doors. What were the kind of doors that you walk through to get to where you are today. But more importantly, who are those people that influenced you to help us get context to who you are? It is true. Um, and, I mean, I, I can uh, imagine uh, everyone has a story to tell about their right. academic journey. Right. Uh, my academic journey really started uh, in high school where I had, you know, great teachers yeah. who planted the seed for me in terms of really the desire to spend my life somehow in education. Right. And, and then you go to university, you have uh, professors who take the time not only to educate you on the technical stuff, but taking the time to plant the seed of wanting to do more to help others. Right. So I credit um, my uh, opportunities to all the people who along the way, not only have they actually provided technical training to me, but took the time to actually say, hey, you know, here are the other things that you could do to become a better person. Right. Um, and then I went, you know, I, I, I went to England to do my master's, and I had the same opportunities of uh, someone who was uh, not only my PhD supervisor, but a mentor, is Demeter Schambeck. Okay. And then I came to Western, and I had a wonderful uh, mentor for my PhD at University of Western Ontario, Safiul uh, Haq. Did the same thing for me right and you know it was this kind of opportunities which fortunately as i started my academic career even here in canada i had similar opportunities i came to mcmaster even at the time when dave second had already left mcmaster right so he had gone at that point to oxford is he that was right? at oxford right, but right. somehow and, and just for those of you who don't know who david sackett is look him up google his name uh, many would call him one of the you know forefathers of epidemiology. I started and chaired Canada's first Department of Epidemiology back in nineteen sixties, late sixties. Absolutely, and yeah. uh, you know, huge, immense impact. So look him up if you uh, don't know that name. So I mean, so people like Dave Sackett, Charlie Goldsmith, All right. Andy Willen, um, and these are the people who really uh, George Wells and right. many other colleagues uh, who. It really took me under their wing and always provided more opportunities. I mean, I remember um, having a discussion with Dave Sackett, which really, for me, uh, continued to uh, resonate even today. He said, right. I asked him, I said, Dave, when you came to McMaster as a 32-year-old, you know, did you know that you would create such a phenomenon of evidence-based you know, right. practice in, right. uh, in this country, uh, around the world? He says, no, actually, I was terrified. <laughs> However... 
uh, he said, I behaved as though I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and he framed it. That's, that's uh, all of us. Really in one of the talks, I say, you can always behave yourself to a successful outcome. Right. And, you know, your original question was, what is really the checklist for what makes the best mentor? Right. And it was through the discussion with all these people that I came to a single item that makes the best mentor. Someone who makes the decision to become a mentor. Fascinating. I often find that it all boils down to that single criterion. Right. I, I, I think, and, and I'll use this, you know, and these, you know, are very crude, you know, uh, statistics. But if you were to talk to 100 people, yeah. and I, you know, let's say in, in orthopedics for me, mm-hmm. and they call themselves mentors, right off the bat, 50% of them are probably not, but they have been given the, they've been given this perception that, well, I know because I'm in an institution where I have students, right. therefore I am a mentor. If they take the, the remaining 50 people, of which they're doing more, even then there's another 50% that really probably aren't embodying what you've said is, it is my calling, it is a passion, and I get a great joy. Um, in my lifetime, I don't think, I could probably count on a handful mm-hmm. of people that I've seen embody that. And you're certainly one of those individuals. So it's particularly interesting to see that it it is a calling in a way. When did you have a sense that this was one of your, quote, callings? Well, um, you know, I I wonder, you know, you you call it a calling. I I think of it as a human obligation. Right. Like I said, you know, you grew up with Ubuntu saying, I am because we are. Right. And if you think of, you know, everyone around you as part of you, right? whatever you think it's good for you should be good for them. Right. Uh, so uh, the way I've always thought of mentorship is, hey, is taking your time to open doors for someone. Right. Why? Because you are where you are because doors were opened for you by somebody. Right. So to me, it's really part of what I call um, good living. Right. Or really being um, part of a human society or human community. Right. And all of us doing the little we can to actually contribute in making a human race a better race. Ah, superb. I, I uh, conceptualize it one way and, and because I'm on the receiving end. So I've had so many wonderful people, um, you know, provide time and energy to help me. But the thing I reflect back on now is that I'm curious what you think of this statement, that a mentor is somebody who sees a greater vision for you than you see for yourself. And they know that in you, you have it. Sometimes you just have to believe it. And they help you, they coach you through that process of having greater confidence, greater belief. And as you critically said, opening the right doors and having you, you know, see the potential that's within you. Absolutely true. Right. Um, it is an absolute, you know, true description of really what a mentor is. But funny enough, I find the the greatest mentors um, don't even think of themselves as, as greatest mentors. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, you know, of course, yeah. Uh, you know, like I say, they just do as you they said. They just do it yes. because they feel, you know, this is the right thing to do. It's effortless for right. them, and uh, it, it, this is what a unique characteristic that seems to be universal across all of them. Well, let me ask you this. So I had a crossroads moment, and I'm curious what your take on this would be. So early on in my career, you know, I would have the privilege, and I really is a privilege to work with so many amazing graduate students, and let's say at a master's level. 
And our program has a surgical scientist program. That's right. Yeah. And so we would invest time. I would invest time, my energy. And I was just so excited for these individuals. They're going to come into the program. Yeah. They're going to graduate. And then they're going to become surgeon scientists. And at the end of those meetings, after they had graduated, I'd say, this is great. Now we're going to get you doing all this research. And they would come to me and say, you know, I don't know if research is where I want to spend the rest of my life. And at that point, I would have this reaction of, I failed them. I failed this is horrible. How can you not want to do research? And obviously with time, mm-hmm. I've become clearly more, have a much broader perspective in that ultimately it is still a privilege to have someone work with you. And more importantly, it would be, it would be a bigger problem if those individuals went into something they weren't passionate about. True. And ultimately, as you think about how to help people, you say, okay, how can, now I say, understand yeah how can i help you i didn't do that before and i wonder when you in your own life how your style of helping students has changed you know anywhere from some of the tough love examples where sometimes they don't want to hear what you have to say but they need to hear it that's true to all the other things in between well um it's amazing i mean we all have um different ways of approaching things and you know, for the most part, there's no right or wrong way of doing things. Everything depends on the individual, their goals, and so on. I mean, I'll give you a sense of my approach to right. what I describe as support for people who uh, put their trust in me. Right. So, for instance, you know, people come in, and I often try to make it clear right from the beginning that this is not about me. My job is to help them and facilitate uh, them to achieve their goals. So we would often actually say, hey, where do you think of yourself beyond the four years of your PhD as an example? Where would you like to be? My goal is simple, to help shape your educational journey in a way that makes you the best candidate for whatever you want to do when you're done school. Whatever it is, whether it's research, whether you want to be an educator or you want to work in some other areas, including those who really want to go to industry. And I say, I will do whatever I can uh, to be able to facilitate you to have that industry experience as part of your educational journey. I say, hey, I may not have all the answers, yeah. but I know colleagues who would. Right. And part of my role is to see whether I can help you knock on other doors to make it that yeah. easier. Right, right, right. And I often try to remind my trainees and students, say, if at any time during our discussion I appear as though I'm directing you or telling you what you should be doing, always tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you promise not to do that. Uh. Uh, right. So, because really, this is all about how I can help you to be able to achieve your own goals, right. and it's not necessarily true that you know people go into a research education um, to learn to become a researcher because they, they want to work in research. Right. They could very well use those skills for other things in their lives. Yeah, and I try to make it very clear that this is definitely not about me, and if my behaviors and my actions ever reflected that, I have lost track of that goal. This should remind me. That's actually a very, very, um, uh, it's, it's, just, it's a good perspective to have. I think many of us forget that uh, from time to time, and we get caught up in the, you know, the ego part of it. And if you, I think true mentorship um, is almost, almost devoid of ego because you're trying to ultimately put everything on them and not so worried about yourself. You know, I, I look at the differentiation between success and significance. Success often is fairly about you, I, significance, I think, has more to do with we, which is how can we, you know, 
as an institution, as a country, as a people, uh, advance. And I think that I, you've certainly elevated to that to that general type of approach. Would be, um, and I mean, I tell I tell all my trainees three things, right? And you know, I go around seeing about the same things. Right. Uh, I say the first thing is, you know, one of the things I learned uh, throughout my career is if if you're going to be uh, working in research, number one thing is think collaborations. And you yep. cannot be successful at collaboration unless you're collegial. So collaborations come hand in hand with being collegial to other yep. people. The second thing I say to them, I say, hey, this is the thing I learned from one of the best mentors in the world is Dave Sackett is you can always behave yourself to a successful outcome. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then lastly, I say to them, I say, always in whatever you do, think Ubuntu. In other words, think I am because we are. Right. And that helps you to be able to make sure that whatever you think it's best for you, it should be best for the people around you, the people in your collaborations. And really when you think about this, um, if if you want your colleagues to have certain behaviors and certain things that you think would be good for you, the if you think Ubuntu, you're going to model those behaviors yourself. That's absolutely that's and I see this are really the tenants uh, of really what makes uh, people to succeed. And I say, I'm not saying this because I know for sure they work. Right. right. But I often say to them, I say, I have some empirical evidence, at least from the people I've worked with. Right. Including some of my students who became some of my best mentors. Right. That these principles really do work. Ah, that's fascinating. Well, let me shift a little bit and ask you a little bit more about you and about ultimately how it is that you prepare yourself for a day of interacting with students, being as optimistic as you are. And I can tell you, I don't think there's an individual I've interacted with who, when we mention your name, doesn't immediately smile and you see something change in them. So there's something that you bring in your presence that allows you on a daily basis to influence others in a very positive way. So let me ask you a very fundamental, simple question. What's your morning routine? How do you set yourself up for your day? What time do you get up and what do you do to get ready for your day? Well, it's funny you say that. People talk about routines, and it's a big routine. Deal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I get up for the most part. I get up quite early, actually. Um, sometimes at six o'clock. Okay, but I'm a news junkie. Okay, so, so as soon as I get up in yeah. the, in the morning, thing, I, I turn on the TV. I watch the news okay. uh, because you know I, I'm obsessed with trying to know what's happening around the world. So I'll okay. flip throughs. Uh, CBC News, yep. CNN. My wife doesn't even like CNN because she thinks it's the same thing over and over. Yeah, yes, it's yes, always yes. breaking news. Everything's breaking news, right? But, I mean, I try to go through uh, Al Jazeera and you know BBC. So just to so get a goal. I spend about two hours watching the news. Two hours. Okay, that's actually fascinating. So, um, so and now during that, are you? Is there any sort of? Are you? Are you having a coffee in the morning? Are you just? Or you just get up and watch? Or you I just watch the news. Get up. Okay. And then um, I'll get up uh, after that and take a shower. Yep. Cold shower, hot shower. Hard shower. Hard shower. <laughs> so I was just in Helsinki. I'm saying it to everybody. I was in Helsinki and there's a big movement to ice and cold, yeah. I mean, really ice cold yeah, water yeah, and cycling. Yeah. They say, so I'm, gonna, I'm trying 30 days of a hot shower yeah. with a 30 second burst of freezing cold. It colds I can get wow. it. And wow. apparently, apparently you get fewer sick days and you feel better and more invigorated for your day. Could be. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Anyway, so go ahead. Yeah. All right. So, you have so your shower. and yeah. then, you know, I, I, I have some breakfast. Right. I never leave the house without breakfast. 
first meal. Yeah. Uh, so and I have breakfast, which is usually very simple. You yeah. know, eggs and a yep. bit of affogato, and I take my tea at that time. Got it. Uh, and then I go to work. I don't usually start my meetings until 9.30. Well, let me ask you this. You have not mentioned what most people think would be an impossibility, which is I have not checked social media or, quote, my emails or any of this. Are, is any of that happening before you head into work? Not really. Uh, it's amazing. very That's rare uh, that I would actually uh, it's you know, spend time yeah. you know, checking emails, even yeah. responding them in the morning. Right. Um, you know, for the most part, really, I, I just watch the news. Good for you. That's very uh, interesting. Okay. And, and then, you know, try to take it easy. Yes. Um, what I might do at times is I might actually check a few things to see whether are there things that when I'm driving to work, which is about 10, 15 minutes, right. I could actually place a call instead of actually responding to an email. Right. So if I have one or two emails and I, I have the cell phone numbers, I yeah. would actually call those individuals. So I'll make about two or three calls before I get to work, which I think is the best use of time. time. That avoids me spending 30 minutes to respond to those emails. Brilliant. That's right. good. So that is a very interesting routine. And I would say, from what I've read, a lot of that is uh, pretty, pretty healthy stuff you're doing in terms of managing time and having a good morning, quote, ritual or habit. Would you say on most days of the week that is your habit? Precisely. Yeah. And I will add to it. I say, um, I ask my assistant to block one hour of lunch for me. Oh, very nice. So every single day I have one hour blocked for lunch. Yes. Which is my time to actually reflect on what's going on throughout the day, get a little bit something to eat. And then I also ask my assistant to actually make sure that I have no meetings beyond 5 o'clock. Yeah, so you've set your schedule up in a very interesting way and I think it's extremely helpful that is something that you pretty well stick to so I mean obviously there's going to be deviations there you go that itself is very interesting but I should add something which I think everyone should be thinking about uh, having is I have two days free of meetings that's Monday and that's Friday right those are the days when I don't come to the office I work from home right and the reason why I work from home is the most productive environment for me if I want to write if yeah. I want to think um, because you know I can always go to the kitchen if oh. something uh, requires a little bit more thought and so on and just walk get out yeah. and do things so I think everyone really should have protected time for thinking protect time to you know, reflect on things and do a bit of writing as well those extremely extremely sage advice on that note, we're at our 20 minutes. Can you believe how quickly time flies? Oh, it does. Um, we'll have to get Dr. Tabana back, and we sure will get you back to talk about many of the other things that are interesting to you. Um, but again, on that note, huge, huge honor to have you here, and thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. Really thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for the privilege. Thank you.